All right. So once again, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, tonight we're going to be fin- uh, tonight this morning. Excuse me. We're going to be finishing up the New Testament book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter four. Uh, we're going to jump right in. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We got you covered. All the verses are going to be on the screen uh, behind my head. So the way Paul starts this out in Colossians chapter four, verse two. That's where we're going to start. It's really cool. It's direct. He doesn't mess around. He gets right to the point. This is what he says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, Paul, Peter does this. Jesus does this a lot. They get right to the point. They say things that are not vague. Right? There's no a lot of other ways you can take this. Right? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Um, and what's cool is if you really pause and think about what he just said, while it's short, it means a lot. Right? It has big implications for how our prayer life should be. For example, he didn't say, make sure you pray twice a day, did he? He didn't say, make sure you pray for like 20 minutes each time, at least, right? He said, devote yourselves to prayer. And devote is a big word. It's a huge word. And it's not necessarily the same thing as praying several times a day, or even praying for a long time or short, right? Those can all mean different things. The word devote means something specific. It refers to the quality of your prayer. Right? How devoted you are, how into it you are. Whenever you do it, how often you do it, however long you want to pray for, devote yourself. Take it seriously. Be all in. Means, for example, stop your day for a minute. All the stuff that we're going on in our mind, you know, the mental list, the things you got to do, the stuff that's going on today, tomorrow, and the kids, all that kind of stuff, for a moment, take that, file it away, and focus on your prayer. And just focus on being present, right? That's what it involves, right? It means you give it priority. It has passion. It comes from your heart. It involves a high level of commitment, right? Uh, You're totally present. And to think about another way, think about other things that we might devote ourselves to, right? Where we use that same word. Uh, Things that you devote yourself to, your spouse, your children, right? Where you're devoted. You care about them. You, You really pay attention. They're your top priority. And here's the thing. They can sense it. They can feel it when you're devoted, them, right? It, and now, for example, Paul isn't suggesting for a second that prayer takes precedent necessarily over a wife and children or husband or whatever. He's saying what it, we need to be devoted so that because it, it's vitally important to our faith and to our connection from God, right? When we do it, we need to be fully invested, fully in the moment. And if we're being honest, I think we could all do a little better in this area sometimes. And in fact, if you're honest, I think it's kind of close to what I'm about to do sometimes, how we treat it. And for the record, I've been guilty of this as, as well. How many times is our prayer life kind of like me just walking around with my phone in my hand? So for instance, I'm still up here talking to you. I'm looking at each one of you. I'm pointing at you. I'm paying attention to you. Even in the back, I got you back there. <laughs> Every one of you. I know you guys. I even pull out my Bible. I'm still talking. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about Jesus Christ. I'm pointing with my Bible as well, right in the very back, over on the right. I see you too. <laughs> Everybody. John, I got you in the back too. Does it feel like I'm 100% here? Does it feel like I'm devoted to being here with you guys? Toss the phone, right? No, of course not, because at least a little part of my brain is on this bad boy, right? I'm either going to get a call, something is going on. I haven't devoted, you know, just for the record, it's on airplane mode, so it's not about to go off. (laughs) However, the picture is still there, and if you admit it's kind of annoying if I just keep doing this. 
Because how many of you would go to a church where the pastor every Sunday was like, hey, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about forgiveness. When his phone was in his hand the whole time. You wouldn't. It'd be awful. Because they're not devoted. So let me put that little beauty away. The point is the word devotion is a big word. Right? And you know it when someone's trying to fake it. I don't have to tell you. I didn't have to describe it. You already knew I wasn't devoted if I had the phone in my hand. So what Paul is saying is when we devote ourselves to prayer, it's serious. You can tell. God can tell. Take everything away and just devote yourselves. Be totally present. And I think, again, we could, admit we could all do better in that area. And for the people that he's writing this uh, in Colossia that he's writing this to, they could do better as well. We're not better or not worse. We're all human, and we could grow in our faith, and we can do better. And that's what he's talking about. Now, he also mentions that we should be watchful and thankful. And what he means is, he's referring to is as we walk through life, we should have our eyes wide open. Uh, we should see the world for how it is. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a gift. But it's also sinful. There are ups and downs in life. There's evil in the world, right? We should see the world for how it is. But yet at the same time, God is with us. He has a plan for us. So we need to be cognizant, cognizant of that as we go through life. Now, as Paul continues into verses 3 and 4, this is where it gets cool, I think. He's going to switch gears, and he's now going to ask prayers for himself. And as we read his words, notice his humanness. He's admitting he's not perfect. He's not always a perfect speaker, but he wants to do a good job no matter what. So let's read that, Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul knows he's not the best public speaker. But what does he want to do? He wants to do a good job. And he's saying literally, literally while you guys are praying, devoting yourselves to prayer, throw a prayer in for us that we would do a good job. That when I speak, it's meaningful, it's impactful. I don't want to waste time. We're not perfect, we know that, but we want to do a good job. And you got to remember, where was he when he wrote this? He was sitting in jail. He was in chains. And look where his heart is at. His heart is that he wants to do a good job of representing Jesus in the jail. He wants to speak well, right? Right? So Paul wants to do a good job. He wants to be useful to God at all times. And notice he wasn't praying for the prison doors to be open, right? for extra bail money. He wanted to be used in jail. right? He wanted God to open a door for their message. So he's asking the people of Colossia to pray again, not for the door to be open, but a door to be open to the hearts of the other inmates and the guards so that they can be saved. He just simply wanted to do a good job. He wanted to come across the right way. He wanted to say the right things. He didn't want to ramble. He wanted it to be meaningful. And that level of faith, that commitment, that devotion is something that we can all aspire to. Now, keep in mind, that's also something that we are going to pray for for all of us at the end of the service, that we can have that as well. Now, let's continue with verses uh, 5 and 6. He says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, Paul is showing he's really wise here. He has a big heart for others, because not only did he just ask for prayers from others that he could speak well and do right, he's also giving advice to them right back that they would do a good job as well. He wants them to pay a close attention to how they speak, how they come across 
to others. And this is important because he's concerned about people who don't know Jesus yet, right? People who don't know. And now to fully understand his point, again, we're going to keep beating this like it's a dead horse. He is in prison and look where his heart's at. Who's he praying for? How many of us, if we got arrested and were locked up and didn't know if or when we'd ever get out, we would be having these exact same prayers? See, he, this is heavy-duty stuff, what he's asking for. So, and he wants, he knows as much as anyone that how he appears to the other inmates, the other guards, how he looks, how he comes across, means everything, right? It means more than stuff than anything he says. So just for example, let's kind of put ourselves in his shoes. Everyone here, forget what you know about Jesus Christ. Forget you have a Bible, and you have the Bible up on your phone. And imagine over the next few months, you don't listen to anything anybody says about Jesus Christ. That's not what matters. What matters is what we learn about Jesus by watching other Christians. No matter what they say, watch what they do. What would you learn about Jesus Christ? For example, this is the heavy-duty stuff. What would you learn about Jesus Christ if you saw them lose their job, lose their house, get a bad diagnosis? Would Jesus Christ still be the Messiah? Right? Now, that's the heavy stuff. Let's go to the lighter stuff. What if they, we saw them get cut off in traffic? See, that's the one that always gets the joke, the laughs. I mentioned bad diagnosis, and people are like, oh, I can work with that. Traffic, oh, I don't know. Now we're asking a lot. Now we're crossing the line. But th that's the truth. Is Jesus only the Messiah if things are going well, or is he the Messiah when things are not going well? And what do people see? What, what do they see? What do they see us go through, right? Here's another thing. How generous would those Christians be when no one was watching? What would we learn from them? How do they treat people that they perceive it to be their enemies? How do they treat people who don't believe in Jesus? The atheists, the agnostics. How do they treat them? How do they treat foreigners, legal or illegal? It doesn't matter. See, that's the real message. right? And Paul understood very well, again, he's sitting in jail, he understood very well that small actions, things that we say, things that we do, how we say them, say more about Jesus Christ than the words that come out of our mouths. And he's sitting in prison, and that's where his heart's at. Right? This is big stuff. He wants to make the most of every opportunity, and he understands that time is precious. He understands that we may not always, just like him, get a second chance. Right? You may not get multiple do-overs with the same person. So whatever we say, whatever picture we paint, needs to count, because that's what they're going to learn. We can say we believe in Jesus Christ, but if our actions are like, oh, then we don't, right? And that's what he's talking about. That's why he's blunt, right? Well, now, here's the thing. This is where he's going, though. When other people, people who don't believe, when they see you remain strong, when they see you hold on to your, your hope and your joy, when you remain considerate, patient, understanding, kind, to even people that you perceive as your enemies, that says something. That shows that Jesus Christ is real. Your actions will be more powerful than anything you say. That's going to be like a flashing billboard that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's what he's referring to. Now, and along these same lines, as a pastor, I get a lot of questions about the end times, and that's totally okay. That's totally cool. People want to know. And, and especially when things happen in the Middle East things going on, right? That, that always triggers a lot of questions and a lot of emotions, and that's understandable. Like, question, is the end coming soon? What do we do, 
What do I need to watch out for? What does this mean? Or when someone uh, really studies the book of Revelation, there's a lot of stuff in there, the same kind of things. Well, what is, is this? What does this mean? Is this, what, this, is what, this is what I heard this is happening. What do we do? And my, question, my response is the same, no matter what. Whether the end comes today or in 2,000 years, it changes nothing. Zero. You don't do anything different. You know why? Jesus Christ is the Messiah or he isn't. Because if it comes today, where are we going to be later today? In heaven. If it's in 2,000 years, we're already going to be there. And here's, this, is, this is where you need to consider it from other people's perspective. If the world starts crashing around us, like let's say right now, if we run around like everybody else, oh my God, then we're no different than anybody else. But the people that don't have hope, where are they going to turn to if they can't find hope from Jesus Christ? All right? That's why Paul says he's sitting in prison. I know I keep bringing this up, but this, it couldn't matter more. It matters. Jesus Christ matters. We need to show that he's real, show that we have hope in him, right? Our calmness, our joy will come across. People are going to see that and go, how do you do that? What do you have? I don't understand. And you get to share your faith, the hope that you have. It's a beautiful thing, right? And so let's look at Paul. Let's go right back to him. Do you think his behavior in prison, while he's in chains, do you think what he did, what he said, how he came across... Did it impact the other prisoners? The guards? Oh, unquestionably, when you think about it like that, you're like, without a doubt. And that's his point. Because if he acted like all the other inmates, like, well, he's a Christian, he's this, he's this, and they're all just the exact same, well, then he's no different. But if he's kind, if he's passionate, if he's considerate, if he's also worried about his church outside and how they're doing, and that stands out. That's different. And that would draw people in. Right? If Jesus is the Messiah, we can always have hope. We can always have joy. Now, there's a verse I also want to share from 1 Peter chapter 3. I've always loved this verse. It stuck out for me. And Peter addresses this because he had the same experiences. And it goes right along with what we just, uh, we've been talking about. So 1 Peter 3, 15. He says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, just like Paul does, just like Jesus does all the time, he's very direct. Look, what's the first word? Always. Notice it's not most of the time. It's not if that person seems cool and willing to listen. Always. Whether you're having a good day, if you're having a great day, do it. If you're having a bad day, do it. If you're having a record-breaking bad day, do it. Always. Right? Because Jesus is either who he said he is, he is the Messiah, or he is not. There's no in between. There's, there's nothing conditional about that. All right? We can thrive. We can share the good news in all times and all places. And Peter also says, he says, give the reason for the hope you have. And then he throws in the, a but. But, because he knows humanity. He knows people. Do it with gentleness and respect. All right? Those are big words. Right? And this needs some explaining again, because we only may get one shot with this. We may not get multiple do-overs with somebody. To be gentle and to show respect does not mean you have to agree with the other person's beliefs. It doesn't, right? It doesn't necessarily have to seem rational or make sense. What it means is that other person is imperfect just like you. Different life experiences. They've been taught different things. They may have different beliefs. But they still have hopes and fears. They still want to know if they have purpose. What's going to happen to them when they die? They're searching for answers. So if they have not heard of Jesus Christ, that's not their fault. 
They simply haven't heard. And here's what I've experienced. They haven't heard this one thing. Or if they've had bad experiences with someone who claims to follow Jesus Christ and that turned them off, that's not necessarily their fault either. Right? That's why we need to be gentle and show respect. We're there to share our hope that we have. Right? Jesus is a free gift. He's for everyone. He's for sinners like us. Now, the other thing is some people will want to hear the good news. They'll want to know. Some people won't. Some people will kind of give you the time of day, uh-huh, 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 and then pull out their phone and start doing something else. And that's okay. No matter their reaction, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the reason for the hope that we have. And when they're ready to hear it, we would love to tell them about it, no matter how long that takes. We're not judging them. Uh, we always show respect. And this is what Jesus said. This is fabulous, fabulous. He himself said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Right? Why? Because I am gentle and humble in heart. And he wasn't talking to his disciples necessarily when he said that. He was talking to the world that didn't know him, to the people who didn't know him. He was calling them in. He is gentle and humble by his own words. And we should be the same. Right? Because this is for the people who haven't found him yet, who don't know him. So we're called to reach out with the good news and show be, and be gentle and show respect. And one of the things that helps me, it helps me to do a better job, because I always want to do as good as I can, is that when you have these discussions, if you do, if you share the hope you have, do not think of it as a debate. It's not a debate. Debates can get heated. Ever have a political debate with someone who believes completely different? Woo! Not a good way to make friends, is it? Quickly, the room divides, right? You put up your flags and you're... Rah, 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 rah. There's clear winners and losers in debates, right? When you're sharing your faith, there is no winner or loser. There's someone who simply doesn't know Jesus yet. And if they don't know Jesus Christ, that doesn't make them a loser by any means. It makes them a sinner just like me, right? We are the same, right? And they're not opponents. So framing it that way has always helped me do a better job of representing Jesus Christ, of, of reaching out to others, right? And now if we're going to stop and think about everything Paul's talked about so far, what's interesting is he started this out inward. He wanted us to uh, de devote ourselves to prayer, to be really focused on God on the inside so we had a solid relationship with him. Then when we start to go outside to reach others, we're strong, we're on point, we're humble, we're gentle, we show respect, right? Um, and there's many times... Um, Jesus did the same thing where he prayed frequently. He pulled away. He devoted himself to prayer. And that's why Paul was directing us there. That's why Peter was directing us there. Um, we need to stay focused. Jesus could have easily, many times, when the crowds were following him, do another miracle, do something cool, some amazing teaching. But there were times he simply pulled away to go pray in a quiet place. Trust me on that. Read that again about Jesus' travels. He did that many times. He wanted to be prayed up be connected with God, and then he went right back out, right? And we should do this. And here, here's what's, there's a really big important point here. This applies no matter how long you've been a Christian, if this is your first day, or if you've been coming to church and you've believed for decades, we can always do better. There's two verses I want to share with you. And as we look at these, keep in mind of the order of how things are happening, right? Because this, this plays a huge important part to our prayer life and how important it should be. Right? This is the disciples. So Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It said, When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out how many demons? That's a lot of demons. 
right? And to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the, the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's what? Chapter 9, right? Let's look at chapter 11. One day, what was Jesus doing? Praying. He was off on his own praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples came up to him and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. So we're seeing here is the disciples, they went from doing some heavy duty, what I call NBA level disciple stuff, casting out demons, curing all diseases. And later they went back and said, you know what, Jesus, help us to pray even better. Help us to be more devoted, right? Because you would think in our human minds, once you get to that NBA level of you're walking around town casting out demons, curing illnesses, you're kind of like you've peaked when it comes to prayer. I'm good. I've nailed it, <laughs> right? Like in golf, a scratch golfer, I'm a scratch prayer guy. I'm, I nailed it. I'm on it. Every, I'm on point. But the disciples said, no, no, no. We always want to do better. We always want to pray more. We want to be like you, Jesus, right? So huge prayer was a huge part of getting them there. It's a good lesson for us as well. So now let's uh, go on to Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 and 9. This is what it says. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all about the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. And where's Paul at right now when he's writing this? In jail. And that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, we're going to keep beating that dead horse. What's unique about this is if somebody gets arrested, they usually don't send their friends to go to church and tell them all about it. (laughs) Do you? Nobody's posting on Facebook, hey, he got arrested yesterday, blah, blah, blah. You won't believe this. What's he doing? He's sending his friends to the church to say, yeah, this happened. But listen, the other inmates are coming to believe. The guards are coming to believe. This is not a bad thing. God is using Paul. Paul says, you know what, you know what happened? God says, I need someone in that jail to, preach those, to reach those inmates and those guards. Paul's a good dude. Paul, you're in there. So he sent them to go to the church to tell them, don't get down. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is about spreading the good news, no matter what. All right, the good news being spread is more important than Paul's freedom. And Paul understood that. He was, God was blessing them. He's with them. And Paul is making sure that the information about him getting arrested, when it gets out, is immediately followed by, man, God is doing some good stuff here. Don't let this get you down. That's not what this is about. Okay, so now he's going to continue. Let's continue with verses 10 to 15. He says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, Jesus was a fairly common name back then. Um, So it's obviously not the Jesus is another one. He said, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only two Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Now, we're going to talk about that. That's a big word. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, the reason Paul goes to such lengths and lists all these people and what they're doing is to show that this is a team effort. 
This is not Team Paul, right? This is everybody. We're all in this together. No one job is important than the other. Planning a church, feeding that church, caring for the sheep, and all of us growing together take all of us. All of us, just like all of Paul's friends that he mentioned, have gifts. Everybody here has gifts, things that you can do well, things that you can contribute that help this church be a better church. And that's why he's doing this, right? Um, and for example, let's look at verse 12. I love this, where Paul mentions Epaphras. He said, Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. Now, the word wrestling sounds like a heavy-duty word, right? How many people wrestled in prayer this morning before church? Show of hands. We got one. All right. Now, that's a heavy-duty word, and we're going to talk about it. It's, when you wrestle in prayer, it's big, it's important. It's not like if you treat prayer like a drive through at McDonald's, where you just kind of pull up quickly, hey, I'll have the number two, large size, and then you just keep going. That's not, that's not, that's not wrestling in prayer. doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's not wrestling in prayer. That means something specific, like the word devotion, right? To wrestle in prayer means you go all in, 100%. You don't leave anything out there, right? You take the time to list off all the heavy problems, the stuff you don't tell anybody else about, and we all have baggage, and you lay it out there to God. And then here's the thing. Then you stay there. You don't move off. You stay there, right, with God. You work through it. You hear from him. You don't drop it at his feet and run. And remember, you know, Jesus prayed this way too. There's this great story where in the Garden of Gethsemane where it says, uh, Jesus went off to pray that he, when he went off, he fell on his face to pray. He fell forward. He didn't get down slowly. He fell forward. He was that heavy laden, and he was going to lay everything out to God the Father. And he was truly wrestling in prayer. Right? And it's, again, it's very emotional. It's very physical. Again, that type of prayer holds nothing back. Zero. You open the floodgates, and then you stay there present in time. Right? And that's really what he wants us to do. Right? That's what wrestling in prayer means. Now let's move on to verses 16 and 17. He says, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. Now what, what, the reason why Paul brings this up is he's, what he shows is that he meant for his letters to be read in the church, to be instructive, to be used to help the church grow, just like we're doing today. The exact same letter 2,000 years later, right? It was meant to carry weight, to give the good news of Jesus Christ, and he, he wanted it to be used so people would grow in their faith. And there's two important things here. He wanted us to know that this message came from God. It was important. But two, just as important, he wanted us to learn how the world received his, that message, how they were treated, Right? Because um, if you remember, over the past few books, if you've ever studied Paul, he got arrested a couple times. It wasn't just once. The dude kept getting arrested over and over again, right? He was out to share the good news, but he also wanted the world to know how he was received sometimes. Sometimes he went out, and people were, it was wonderful. People totally came to believe. It was great. Sometimes people didn't care. They're like, yeah, it's fine. Got other stuff to do. Sometimes they went after him and threw him in jail. And when he was in jail, he used his time to say, listen, God still has a plan. He's using me. So he wanted us to know the message and then also understand how the world receives that message. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's in the middle. Paul is using all of it to teach us, to help us be better Christians, better disciples, right? His main point is the good news of Jesus Christ is worth it, no matter what. 
That's why he speaks about his good experiences and his bad, right? Now, let's read the very last verse for today. It's verse 18, uh, Colossians 4.18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And then two things. This is how he finish, finishes. Remember my chains and grace be with you. So there's two purposes here. Number one, he wants to make it clear that this information comes from God through him to the world. He takes accountability. He's taking responsibility for everything he says, and he's putting himself squarely on Team Jesus. Right? The second, person, second purpose is to remind all those who follow, who are going to learn from him, that persecution is real. It can happen. Right? That's why he says, remember my chains. I mean, there's no other way to take that. The dude is in chains, and he's saying, just remember. Remember. But does he finish it there? No. What does he say? Grace be with you. Right? And with that, he means God's grace overcomes all things. God's grace makes it worth it. He says, I've been locked up multiple times, and I'll be locked up a hundred more times if it means I can save other people, even inmates in the jail. It's worth it. Right? So this is his greater point. This is our final point. This is what you need to take from this. Whatever you're going through, whatever happens in life, good or bad, God's grace is worth it. It's worth it. Paul is saying, I know this for a fact. I was there. I wasn't arrested once. I was arrested a slew of times, but each time it was worth it. God was using me. Jesus Christ is for everyone, and it's our job to take that message to the world. So now as we begin to finish uh, for the day, there's two things we always like to do. Number one, This is the purpose of the church. This is why Paul wrote this. This is why we're all here. If anyone has not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Okay? We want to do that. We're going to say a prayer in a minute. If you don't know what to say, that's okay. Just say what I say. You can say it quietly to yourself. Whatever you say is between God and you. No one's going to ask you. There's no test. There's no secret handshake. All right? But Jesus Christ is there. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to pray for each one of us here to grow in our faith, to learn more about God, and then as we step out, to do a good job of sharing the hope that we have, that we speak plainly and people can understand us and that we're kind and generous, okay? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, we as a church, we pray for greater knowledge of you and your teachings. Help us to understand the best way to apply your teachings to our lives so that we can become the best disciples possible. Help us also when we share the good news. Help us to be kind, gentle, patient, humble. Give us the words to say so that we have the best chance of saving lost souls. Father, help us also in our prayer lives. Grant us great faith and instill in us the devotion to pray with our whole hearts, to hold nothing back, and to pray with you at the center of our lives. And then, Father, as we go about our lives, as we step out into the world, guide our steps. Lead us to people who don't know you or your Son, that we can share the hope that we have. And Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We are blessed in so many ways. We thank you for your church, but most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, 
who in whom we have hope and salvation. And it's in his name we ask all these things. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.